this show the establishment warned you about. And welcome to the Dr. Tommy Show, streaming live from Tampa, Florida. I am, as always, your concierge medicine physician on call to educate you and entertain you and uh, be your America's free market doctor. And I am proud to present the Dr. Tommy Show by Atlas MD, which is the preeminent medical software for membership medicine practices. I'm also very happy to welcome to the show live Dr. R.M. Huffman, who is an author, anesthesiologist, and provocateur on Twitter, as I am as well. Dr. Huffman, thank you for coming on today. Hey, thanks for having me. You're welcome. I'm going to send our Twitter fellers a little thing that says we're on. Okay, so we were talking before the show started. You are an author, you're an anesthesiologist, and you are um, kind of uh, interested in all sorts of things. What got you started into uh, being a an author in addition to being a physician? Well, in medical school, I kind of always drew. Uh, that was that was my artistic uh, endeavor, and I was pretty good at it. I, I did some concept art and some, some miniature designs, freelance illustration. Um, never thought about writing. Not interested in it. Place out of, of college English. Uh, but I can't take naps, so my intern year, I just lay there awake a lot. And I had this idea one day. I don't remember how it happened, but I, I should write a book. Mm-hmm. Uh, and then I just started doing it, and I just kept messing with it. Uh, and a couple of years later, I had 110,000 words. What was the uh, book? I, and I'll show you right here. So it started out as antediluvian, but uh, the publisher I got hooked up with um, gave me a three-book deal and, and decided antediluvian was... Uh, too long of a word, mm-hmm. so you change it to Leviathan, which isn't much better, uh-huh. but it's all right. Uh, second book just came out, three-book deal. Last one should be pretty easy. Uh, I, I thought it'd be an interesting subject to write about, kind of a, the pre-flood world in Genesis. Yeah, because that's so, what all anesthesiologists like to write about, huh? Sure. Yeah, most <laughs> of them. All the ones I know that have written a novel. Yeah. Um, so so, got, so tell ahead. us just a general, I mean, if you could... I know it's hard to say, but what is the story about the trilogy? So if you, if you take the first three chapters of Genesis, you got like 1,600 years of biblical history. And it's, it's really not that important whether you take that as true history or not. I do. Mm-hmm. If you think it's just mythology, I've kind of written it in a way that's not preachy at all. It's just mm-hmm. half angel giants riding dinosaurs. And I figured that was cool however you take it. Yeah. Uh, and personally, it sounded fun to write about. So I did. Uh, it's going to end the flood, so book three should be pretty easy because I just kill everybody off. Oh yeah, yeah. So these are available. These are available on Amazon. Amazon for now. Yeah. Have you thought and about doing an audio version? Uh, we thought about it. Yeah. That was that was in the cards at one point, but uh, I love listening it, to audio books. Yeah, it's it's still. If you publish a book, uh-huh. what you'll find is the publisher has a lot of really really good. Uh, ideas as far as marketing and kind of expanding the IP mm-hmm. and a lot of times it doesn't happen mm-hmm. kind of what I was uh, expecting and that's sort of what's come to pass but you know a, a book doesn't have an expiration date really yeah. especially something based on, on biblical sources so we'll see I think an audiobook will happen at some point for sure alright so this is one of the things that I wanted to talk to you about and this is more important to me than a lot of the stuff on Twitter, but what is the problem with Star Wars now? Star Wars has become. <laughs> yes, I'm home in the office. This is this is Sophie. 
Hey she there. is too. She is cute. That's Dr. Tommy. You're live. Hey, hi. Hey, baby. Okay, can you go see mommy? Okay, we can talk Star Wars. Baby. Yeah, so Star Wars, the the new, if everybody's not familiar with, uh, uh, has been sold now to Disney. It's a Disney property. I guess Kathleen Kennedy is still running the show. She's and, running the show. And without any, um, without trying to be too critical, it's it's kind of become more. What do you say, watered down, or what's the, what's the way to describe it? Well, that's a tough question. Now, or silly. My <laughs> yeah, it's. I, I don't want to say disrespectful. It, it kind of depends on. It. So, to give you my Star Wars background, mm-hmm. uh, love the original trilogy. Uh, when I was in fifth grade, I think they started coming out with serious continuations in the novels. And I think it was 1991, Tim Zahn, mm. and then Kevin Anderson had the Jedi Academy trilogy. And I kept up with those books um, probably till the early 2000s. But from about 1991 to 1998, the Star Wars content was novelizations, and it was considered, you know, somewhat canon. This was right. supposed to be what what happened. And in fact, sure. So the prequel trilogies came out. We all know about the prequel trilogies. Jar Jar Binks and uh... Jar Jar Binks. It became less of a, a an adventure and more of a kids' cartoon. Mm-hmm. Uh, I won't talk about the prequels too much, but some of the things they did it didn't improve the original trilogy. And then, so uh, now we have the the sequel trilogy. And if the other one was like a cartoon, so the, what is this one like? Train wreck. I don't know. I don't know how to say it. It's. And I'm not a Star Wars hater. I want these movies to be great, mm-hmm. and I want I want them to go on for. I, I, I mean, I would love for Disney to duplicate the success that they've had with Marvel, um, because uh, those movies have been you know, good to amazing. Mm-hmm. It, the quality has been amazingly consistent. Thanks. Bye bye. But the. And, and I'll say right now that I'm kind of accepting Rogue One right now. Uh, I think Rogue One was well done. Mm-hmm. I think it was it was superfluous, but it was a, a well done superfluous. Rogue movie. One was of, the spinoff. It, it was a spinoff. I, I I think of the three that have been out since Disney took over, I do appreciate that one more than any of them. I think. Uh, yeah, absolutely, I do too. And, and I played a lot. Of, interestingly you know, enough, the mainstream, I guess you call it press or mainstream critics. Did not like that one as much, and I don't know what that says. I don't know. I is Disney. I, I'm not going to. I'm not going to criticize Disney to the to the point of thinking that they bought off reviews. But I, Star Wars hype is real. People want to like these movies. There's so much goodwill. Mm-hmm. Uh, they're still making a billion dollars. They probably will for a couple of more. But the picture I have of these, and we'll get into details for why I think this, I guess. But it, it's kind of like. You know, an Empire, Millennium Falcons flying along. They're getting shot at. It's still fine. It's still flying. But it's one more hit and the shields are gone and, you know, they're going to be space dust. Mm-hmm. I don't think Disney sees it. That's kind of what they're flirting with here. They, they, they are going to make a lot of money by virtue of the fact that they bought Star Wars for $4 billion. Right. But what they're running the risk of is they're, they're, they're killing the IP to where – they're going to see decreasing returns until the property is worthless. Well, what about the uh, expanded universe now? We have uh, Solo is going to have his own series now. And then it was, <clears throat> I don't know. I saw the trailer for that. I don't know. It, it would be good, like I, like you said, to have it uh, succeed. But I think I would like a grittier type of Star Wars. Kind of like what they were able to do with James Bond. Take James Bond back from... I think that'd be great. 
back from the cartoonish, uh, not to dip, you know, not to say that Roger Moore or uh, uh, Pierce Brosnan weren't good James Bonds. They were, but I, I think when uh, the uh, um, Daniel Craig came back, he restored that grittiness of the original Sean Connery type. And I like to see Star yeah. Wars be a little bit more hard edged, maybe a little bit more. Uh, um, I don't know, different, like Iron Man was different when it first came out. I thought that was an interesting concept. I don't know what you thought about that. The no, new- I thought Iron Man was great, but yeah. I, I totally agree. I mean, you watch the original Star Wars, and it's almost shocking that it's a kid's movie. Right. I mean, it, it is it is massively violent. It's a war. Mm-hmm. There are literally billions of deaths just in that movie, and it's graphically shot, and pilots exploding. It's a serious film, and really the only, the only comedic elements are c3po and r2d2 and they were not cartoony right I mean, they were kind of bitterly sarcastic if anything and it was still funny i mean you had han solo and, and his bravado that was a little bit funny but nothing like jar jar binks right. and nothing like the slapstick the last jedi your mama joke that it started yeah. out with um it, it's i totally agree it'd be great to get grittier and i think rogue one took a step in that direction and they took a step right back in a big way with the last jedi yeah all right, let's switch gears completely different. Uh, we are both physicians. I am a sports and family medicine physician. You're an anesthesiologist. You have a you have a young child. I have an older child. What would you be your opinion of them going into medicine at this point? Oh, so I have I've got a nine year old. Okay, she was in kindergarten. Um, I mean, literally, I actually think pre K. They all the kids in the class held up signs. What What do they want to be when they grow up? you know, ice cream truck driver and mermaid and princess. And he had a sign uh, that said anesthesiologist, which mm-hmm. was really kind of special to me. As medicine is right now, I don't want to discourage them. I think that, you know, nine has more time than 18 for sure. Right. But the way things are trending, it'd be tough to, to really, really encourage him. Now, he'd be a great doctor. He's the kind of kid you want going into medicine. Mm-hmm. But at the very least, I'm going to make sure his eyes are, are, are wide open about how it is because it's you're not seeing a lot of doctors with teenage kids who are the kind of kids you want to get into medicine who know how to work hard, know how to study hard. Mm-hmm. Uh, they're not being encouraged to go into it. So what? And there are lots of reasons why. So if someone just tunes in, they're like, well, there's these two doctors saying you know, maybe medicine ain't a good thing. The, the number one reason I say medicine may not be a good idea is because as a physician, I if I'm practicing in what is called the accepted model of traditional insurance practice, I am not able to be a physician the way I was uh, anticipating being a physician when I first started. You're an anesthesiologist. How is it from your perspective? Well, what, what would be the hard part about being an anesthesiologist then? Well, I, I've, I've made some conscious decisions to not – to be as much the captain of my own ship as I can. Uh, so in anesthesia, the trend is for smaller practices or even larger practices uh, to sell out to big corporate groups. Mm-hmm. And the primary driver of that is, is these old docs see what happen, see what is happening to medicine. Uh, and they are, you know, within five years are retiring, and this is their golden parachute. They'll, they'll get bought out. They don't have to worry about what happens next. Uh, but what happens next is... The doctors work harder, then they're more extenders, um, and then you, you get them burned out. Well, why is, what's the driving force? Who's behind all this? What is it? Well, the corporatization the of... The, corporat- uh, the corporatization is because people mm-hmm. see, as they have for years and years and years, and we're too young for it to be our fault, but um, people saw doctors as a way to make money. And I'll tell you, I have a finance degree just because 
my dad was a doctor and he said, don't go with, don't do biology or biomed or whatever for undergrad because doctors are stupid with business. Mm-hmm. And the ones who aren't do it by failing over and over again when they start a practice. We do not get any business training, which is a real defect of residency. Uh, I mean, whatsoever. So then we're kind of thrown out in the wolves. And this, this industry is a sixth uh, of the American economy, which is a quarter of the world economy. It's a huge, huge business. And there are a lot of people who are business savvy and they have been inserting themselves into in healthcare for 40 years. And they don't contribute to patient care, mm-hmm. but they do take a little piece. And if they don't take a little piece, they take a little control. And so now we have a medical system where, with few exceptions, and you're one of them, and, and for the most part, I am too, uh, doctors, they've got to meet all kinds of CMS, Medicare, Medicaid uh, data quotas. And I'm sure you know about all that oh, yeah. stuff, but they don't have to deal with it. But literally, we're... we're data entry for actuaries in the government, uh, for insurance companies, and for it, administrations. Someone posted this morning on Twitter, and they uh, was posted and said, what is the reason for all of this uh, complicated, they were talking about, I think it was talking about Medicaid, but they said, why is the reason for all this complication of the healthcare system? Why not give the Medicaid patients an HSA card, and then they can go to a DPC practice or whatever and cut out all this extraneous stuff for primary care. And my response was, is because the healthcare pro- healthcare system is a jobs program. And there is no sure. interest of quote-unquote stakeholders, which I determined stakeholders to be uh, entities which benefit from government regulation that requires the entity's services in law. So a stakeholder is someone who is a middleman, essentially, or someone who is not a primary, uh, not a patient or a doctor, sure. stakeholders are in between people. And there's no interest in stakeholders in making things um, more simple because that is their lifeline. That's how they make a living. That's and that's the reason. That's how they make a living. That's exactly right. You see, there will never be an end. Like I have anesthesia forms and they change all the time at, at different facilities. They're all perfectly fine. Mm-hmm. But, but they will always change. They will never be perfect because now in medicine you have a job at that hospital system, that's let's change forms. It's the let's change forms right. job. Right. If you ever say, you cannot ever come to the point now where everything's fine, mm-hmm. the order sets are fine, the anesthesia record's fine. Right. Because if if anyone ever says, no, this is good, this works, that person can't is justify it? their paycheck sure. anymore. And, and that is, there are thousands and thousands and thousands and thousands and thousands of those people mm-hmm. in medicine, and they will never go away without massive reforms. And they will kick and scream the whole way if, well, if it does. And I don't know if it will. I like to give the example of the buggy whip uh, manufacturer. If we had the current belief in the way the interaction between government and corporations should take place, we would still be driving horses around uh, with different regulations on the length of the buggy whip, who yeah. should be able to pay for what buggy whips, how fast should your horse be, who should be the one to qualify your horse to be in the streets pulling carts. Who should? Sure. So all of that stuff is the progressive era happened after that. And so here we are, the beneficiaries of this uh, belief in corporate, uh, uh, private partnerships with government, like in healthcare, for instance, like Medicare. And uh, Milton Friedman said that the reason for Medicare and Medicaid is to allow corporations to more easily eat at the public trough. And it eliminated uh, a lot of different ways be- be- between uh, way people could give their money to the government now the, or give their money to corporations. Now corporations can get the money from different people through the government. And it's just a direct conduit. 
and all this other stuff's just built on top of it. And back to my buggy whip thing, you know, if it weren't for, if it were to take place now, we, the, the, the buggy being uh, the horse and buggy being the predominant mode of transportation. And someone came along like Henry Ford with the idea of automobile. They would be very, they would be hard fault to not introduce the automobile. Sure. There would be all sorts of legal roadblocks and there'd be lawsuits and, yeah. And it, probably it would work. Yeah. Um, it's very, very difficult. There are all sorts of barriers to, to physicians uh, participating in entrepreneurial adventures. It's, it's, it's really, really hard. There are rules about doctors not getting involved with doctors or not getting involved with medicine at all. It, it, mm-hmm. it's, it, it's so multifactorial and, and it's billions and bill, we're talking billions of dollars at stake. Yeah, and unfortunately, patient health gets caught in the crossfire because, yeah. make no mistake, medicine is not efficient as it can be, and primarily it's because we're beholden to so many people who wouldn't know how to take care of patients if you paid them. Yeah, they like, just know how to take money from us. I like to make the analogy that uh, you think of healthcare as like a machine, and then there's two two primary inputs in the machine. One of them shaped like a patient. One of them shaped like a doctor. And you put them into this machine. You turn these gears, and it spits out a payment. And that payment is the product. The the doctor and the patient are just little things that you have to put into the machine to get the payment. And that's sure. kind of what we are. We're just widgets. Switching gears completely from that. What is the role of uh, uh, what should doctors be on social media like we are now? Is this is this appropriate for doctors to be sharing their beliefs, or should they just kind of uh, fall away to the wayside and let the uh, white coats that go meet people in Washington D.C. take care of it all, like the AMA? The, the, the AMA, and I'm not going to knock those people. They're good at what they do, but what they do is politics. Mm-hmm. They, they have MDs, and I know them. They've trained me. I appreciate what they have done to make it so so many people can practice because they're the ones who pick the residents. They're the ones who run the training programs. But these are the guys who are, who are actually participating in patient care uh, pretty seldomly. And, and that's what they wanted. That's fine. They've, they've risen to the top of what they want to do, which is medical politics. But they're not in the trenches. They're not taking care of patients. And they, when, you, when you've been doing it long enough, they almost don't know how. Uh, but they certainly aren't, aren't in private practice. And you've got to remember, these guys are not in private practice dealing with insurance companies. Mm-hmm. They're in academic ivory towers, not knocking ivory towers. Uh, you kind of have to have them. But... Uh, they're they're very detached from from the medicine that that you and I are working with every day, and they're really pretty detached from patient care. So, what about you know social media? You know, what do you think this has an impact? Do you think getting out other doctors hearing you know? Because I tell you what, when I was a resident, I, you heard nothing other than the party line in medical school. No, I think, in academics. I think it's necessary, uh, but if for no other reason reason then we're, we're practicing in america and we have freedom of speech yeah. why not exercise it it's all right um but it's it's important for patients mm-hmm. and what you don't want to see is doctors be quiet and then you have nhs and then you have a whole lot of politicians saying about so nhs english system massive massive problems getting to the point where if you don't check a bunch of boxes if you don't behave in a way that shows you're participating in your own health obesity and smoking right you're just going they'll to deny you surgery right they'll deny you surgery and and there's nothing you can do about it doctors can't give it to you because doctors hands are tied by by big government programs but isn't because they're all employees of the government isn't the purpose of the nhs though to make sure everyone has has care 
Isn't that, that the that's, that's the stated purpose. Mm-hmm. But resources are not infinite. Mm-hmm. Our time is not infinite. Medical resources aren't infinite. Government money is not infinite. They're going to necessarily, especially the American population, and we won't we don't have to talk about this a bunch, but the majority of American uh, health problems in the cost of American medicine is predicated on patient behavior. Exactly. I mean, o- obesity, tobacco use, uh, alcohol abuse in particular, but the, you'll never hear a politician talk about that. That's not going to get votes. Doctors don't have any tools to do it. It's all patient behavior. All you can do is counsel people, but it, this is a population at severe risk for a government actuary saying, sorry, you're not worth the cost it would take to take care of your chronic disease that you gave yourself. Yeah, um, I think if you look at it too, pre-Medicare, for instance, was there people dying in the streets, old people particularly, which Medicare was purported to help, or, or Medicaid, poor people, old people and poor people, were they... I, I, I think that if you if you listen to the people who talk about the importance for government action in healthcare today, if you were to go back in time to like the 40s or the 30s or the 20s, uh, you would be constantly stepping over dead old people and dead poor people in the streets. No. Uh, but that I, wasn't the case. Uh, there was sure it wasn't. private There's, charities. Yeah, there were private charities and doctors could, could actually have time to participate. You think you're going to get a primary care doc, uh, your typical family practice guy who doesn't have enough time to see patients for longer than 15 minutes and then still has four, four hours of paperwork? They don't have time to participate in charity care. No. There's a reason that hospital systems are Methodist and Baylor that's Baptist and St. Luke's and St. Joe's right. because these hospital systems were set up as missions. Exactly. They, they will take care of people. That was their purpose right. was to take care of people. They did provide charity care. Mm-hmm. So this idea that, that old, old and sick people are going to die in the streets because doctors are, are monsters just in it for a dollar, um, that's never been the case. No. I guarantee if I were in it for money – I would not. I have, like I said, I have a finance degree. I would not have gone into six figures of debt and given up my twenties to do this job. It's not worth it. Yeah. You're stupid if you're doing this for money. You have to want to take care of patients. Um, but the government doesn't doesn't help you succeed in that. It's just an impediment. So the government doesn't help you succeed, and then along the way, you've had these third parties jump into position in order to perpetuate the need for themselves by making medicine more and more complicated. And in the meantime, the wedge between doctors and patients is just driven more and more. But I think what you're seeing now is with free markets, at least in medicine, uh, such as direct primary care and concierge medicine and free market medical association, the AAPS, is you're seeing more and more people at least have their eyes open to the idea that maybe government is not the best way to provide health care. And at least you're having a pushback against that. Because before, if someone came along, uh, some nominated physician group that was the voice of physicians, for instance, they say, well, you know, these are necessary. These codes are necessary and we need to have government come in and do all these things. A lot of doctors, for lack of any other reason than ignorance, would say, yeah, maybe you're right. But now you have a lot of pushback, I think, uh, from people who are challenging the idea that the government needs to impose regulations on physicians and patients in order to allow patients to have timely access to care. I think that's being exposed more and more as a giant myth. Yeah, I absolutely agree. And I, I think it's the AAPS is great. What you're doing is great. Um, and, and it's not just great for doctors. It's great for patients. And, and that always is the focus. I, I want to try to you know, emphasize that the myth that doctors are just in it for the money absolutely needs to be dispelled. Yeah. Because that is, that's just not the case. 
Well, the, the, there's a lot of myths in healthcare, and, and slowly we will push back against the uh, frontiers of ignorance, as it were, regarding that. Uh, as far as where do, where are you living at? Where do you live at right now? In, oh. in North Texas, kind North, of the Dallas area. North Texas. What is the weather like there? You know, it's it's nice. It should feels like it should be warmer. Mm-hmm. It's a little cool. It's kind of perfect right now. Had a huge hailstorm a couple of days ago. Mm-hmm. So that's like the fourth, fourth in three years. Are you? A, but it's 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 not bad right now. Are you a football fan? College football. I'm an Aggie. Aggie. Okay. We have so some patients. Out, we have some patients out there who are Aggies. Actually, it's it's rough. And mm-hmm. I grew up in College Station, so I've been going to Aggie games since I was six or seven. Mm-hmm. And you just, I'll never root for another team, but you have to build up this wall around your heart because they they hurt you. They mm-hmm. hurt you in different ways. Well, so surprising ways that you think you can't be hurt that ever again, and then they'll they'll get you. Well, you know, so I said about Jimbo. Now, I went to the Texas A uh, and M inaugural season in the SEC when I was. I'm a Florida fan, so I went out there. We went out there for the game. I think it was 2012, and I can tell you, we have never met a nicer bunch of people. And uh, we'd walk by the the tailgates, and they'd say, "Hey, welcome to Texas. Hey, do you want a drink? Hey, come have a hamburger or a hot dog." And I was, at some point I was worried that they were trying to kill us because of their <laughs> feigned, I thought, maybe uh, it's, uh, it's niceness. Real. But they were really n- nice people, and I it's really real. enjoyed it. And A&M, A&M is better than, better than a lot, but that's kind of what you'll get in Texas, but particularly in College Station. And it was hellishly hot out there. Yes, uh, that is also true. There was a supposed a cool front that came through, and I can tell you the temperature was probably 92, and I have never been in a place that was hotter than Florida until I went to that game. That sounds about right. Well, thanks so much for joining us. This is Dr. Huffman. He is on Twitter at RM Huffman, and I am on Twitter at Tampa Direct Care. And we thank you for joining us today, and thank you for listening. And uh, we will be closing out with a little white snake as long as my computer doesn't crash. And are you a fan of white snake? I, I like white snake fire. Right. You, well, get, you get to develop a pretty eclectic musical interest when you're in the OR listening to all different surgeons' music. Yeah, well, this is White Snake. This is um, slow and easy. Until next time, we like, thank you for joining us. Uh, log in and uh, on iTunes and subscribe on YouTube. Until next time, bye bye.